0: Ha <laughs> ha! That's so funny. Last time I heard that, I laughed so hard I fell off my dinosaur. 90. seven.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please, uh,
0: for this afternoon's feature attraction.
1: From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio, and to all those peeps out there at Tutwiler Hall moving in, I'm Ben Flanagan.
2: And I'm Corey Kraft, and joining us today from New York is Ben's brother, Graham Flanagan. Is he on the Howdy, air? I also want
0: to yep. say what's up to everybody in Tutwiler, moving in. Welcome.
2: Now, it's been two years since funny man Will Ferrell last teamed up with the man who can arguably best channel his particular brand of comedy to the screen, former Saturday Night Live head writer Adam McKay. But in three previous team-ups, the team has produced three great comedies. 2004's Anchorman, safely one of our favorite comedies of the decade, as we discussed a few weeks ago. 2006's Talladega Nights, a movie that I didn't love at first, but deepens and gets funnier with every viewing. And 2008's Step Brothers, an absurdist, R-rated, long, practical joke of a movie that I could literally watch every day. Well, after last night's screening of their latest collaboration, The Other Guys... We may have another great comedy on our hands.
0: I think you're a fake cop. I hear a guy who's probably a little insecure.
1: All units, we've got a possible jumper. We all know you're in a very dark place right now. I'm gonna do it! You're feeling as
2: if sweet death is your only release. Oh, 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 we got a second jumper. Oh, look, he's flying. Ah! Teaming up. Farrell and Mark Wahlberg, the movie tells the story of two NYPD desk cops, Farrell's hilariously boring forensic accountant, and Wahlberg's wannabe hero cop, whose mismatched partnership is put to the test when they come across a big case. The film, as all of McKay's movies, has an excellent supporting cast and roster of cameos that includes Eva Mendes, Steve Coogan, and Michael Keaton. Now, Ben and Graham, I don't know how your experience watching this film went, but personally, this movie made me laugh so hard, I left the theater in pain. There were many scenes I missed almost entirely due to laughing at something that happened in a scene before. Now, this tends to happen with me and Adam McKay's films. Guys, do you find this a deserving entry into a strong filmography, or did this somehow not affect you as much as it affected me? Grandma, I'll let you go first.
0: Okay, uh, you know, flashes of brilliance. Definitely the, uh, moments that, that made me laugh uh, like I have in many Will Ferrell movies past. And, you know, and lots of Will Ferrell Saturday Night Live uh, sketches. Hilarious stuff in this movie. There's a lot of it. But overall, I felt like uh, it was a weak effort. And right now I'm ranking it fourth behind uh, Anchorman, Step Brothers, and Talladega Nights. I'd put
1: this a notch above Talladega Nights. Uh, I don't like it more than Anchorman, obviously. I think that we can all agree that that's their masterpiece, uh, and I think that Step Brothers is a little bit better than this, but I'm kind of in agreement with Graham where I think that this is an overall weak effort, uh, and Corey, I think that you're either wearing beer goggles or something when it comes to Adam McKay's comedy, or you're just drunkenly in love with him, man.
2: I'm, I'm kind of speechless Unabashedly this, this in love be, with him. This is easily the funniest thing I've seen probably... God, I don't know. This year? Would you say
1: it's the funniest this year? I think McGruber's a better comedy overall than this. Uh personally. I just I laughed out loud more. That's not to say that I didn't laugh out loud during the movie last night. I did. From beginning to end. There were funny things happening in just about every scene, but I just thought that there was a lot of fat that they could have trimmed off easily. And I think that the hardest thing you can possibly do when you're making a comedy is come up with some plot where you can basically throw all of the jokes that you have for 90 minutes to two hours and hope that it sticks to. And I think that this movie has no plot. I mean, it does have one, but it's not interesting. It t- tries to be timely in a way with its uh, corporate crime aspect uh, that it has, but to me it's not interesting. It bores the audience, and any time we see villains like Anne Hesh and Steve Coogan and the Australian security guard, I think that the audience had to be bored. And all that did was serve as filler. But in terms of the jokes, Graham is right, Corey, you're right. Will Ferrell basically delivers. And unlike last week with Dinner for Schmucks, which I thought was a total bomb, and I admitted that I only laughed one time, I laughed hundreds of times last night. And that's... that's, more than I can say about a lot of comedies like you said this year Corey
2: I mean I I, I guess I'm just still kind of reeling here um, I, I loved this movie and I don't think it's like a like a beer goggle situation but everything I mean yeah it's a little flabby uh, as Adam McKay's movies usually are uh, but It all came together so well for me. I think that Farrell and Wahlberg are perfectly paired here. I think Wahlberg's awesome, where we were kind of afraid that he might get lost in the shuffle here. The supporting cast is great. I think the plot, I mean, the plot is not really boring to me. I appreciate it for its timeliness and I appreciate that this is, you know, Adam McKay taking a political stance on a bunch of stuff. You know more overtly than he did in his other movies, though I think that if you look at his other movies, there is a, a, a subtext. He brings that to the text here, I mm-hmm. guess, and actually does try to say something, which I appreciate, and I think the you know the ending credits of this movie, which are basically like a... Uh, you know, like him sitting down and saying, you know, we had a lot of fun, but here's some actual statistics in this slideshow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, but who
1: cares? I mean, that, that felt totally tacked on, and his message I mean- did not ring clear or true to me. It just fe- it felt like some Hollywood loudmouth who had a lot to say about political issues g- happening in America right now, and that's not what I want to hear, even if you're satirizing it, and I think that
2: they failed to do that with this movie. I, I disagree. I mean, I think it's fitting. I think that, you know, it. I personally think it needs to be said. I don't want to get into a political discussion because we're talking about the movie, but as th- a bunch of the characters in the movie say often nobody really cares about these statistics and they're not really out there and and Adam McKay you know he's coming out and saying well what better place I guess than at the end of my wacky comedy movie that everybody's going to see so if people stay and look at it that's good but I mean yeah I guess it doesn't intrinsically like serve any like purpose for the film other than being kind of a cool little thing that you can stay and watch and get you know outraged over well, Graham
1: in, in terms of the movie itself and the characters that we're watching especially the leading men you know, you know you and I are both Will Ferrell fans as is Corey but let's talk about Mark Wahlberg for a second I had a lot of uh, I guess I was a little skeptical uh, to be fair about his role in a broad comedy I think that he has succeeded as a comedian in dramas Uh, especially in Boogie Nights, where he is hilarious. And I think that that takes skillful skillful acting effort from him to portray Dirk Diggler as this sort of airheaded porn star. I thought he was great. And also in The Departed, he provided most of the comedy in that movie, and it was great. And also I Heart Huckabees, which could be argued as sort of a a fleeting comedy, I guess, and sort of a a dramedy maybe in in some sorts. And he was great in that, too. But, Graham, did you think that Mark Wahlberg succeeded, and was he able to sort of... Um, play at the level of Will Ferrell in this movie.
0: No. Uh, I was skeptical. But as you said you were, I was skeptical going in, and I think what you have here is just sadly some uninspired casting. Uh, you know, he, he tries, but it's not It's not really his fault. He just doesn't fit into this world, at least not yet, and he didn't for me uh uh, they tried. They sure. They they tried, but in a lot of scenes, he just came off as annoying. And I'm sitting there saying, "All right, I'm waiting for Will Ferrell to start talking again." I kind of wish that they would have kind of uh, stroked the Will Ferrell John C. Riley on-screen duo, and maybe brought him back for a, yet another buddy comedy. Because you know they're three deep at this point. Maybe this would have been the one where that that chemistry just finally took hold and and you know really went through the roof. And so I I'm I was not overly impressed with Wahlberg and for me it was uh, you know, one of the more disappointing aspects of the movie
1: I kind of agree I, I think that he, he had his moments um, but again the point I was making going into it and I'm a Wahlberg fan I think that he does great work and like I just said he, he's capable of comedy but I just thought that once again it felt like somebody who was trying to be funny instead of just being funny And some of the jokes fell flat and most of his character uh, it involved him just yelling at will ferrell just because he didn't like him and i just kind of thought that that was more of a weakness of the script than it was Wahlberg. maybe they apparently i read in an ain't it cool review that they he claims that they wrote this role for him and maybe that was a challenge for them how do we make mark Wahlberg funny and let's just make him mad at will ferrell all the time let's have him physically and verbally abuse him and most of the time, it fell flat for me, but there were some instances where, yes, it did make me laugh. I
2: think it works completely because, I mean, I'm a big fan of Wahlberg. I think he can do comedy, you know, completely. I, I'm a big fan of I Heart Huckabees, and in that movie, if anything, he proves, you know, he's capable of being just as manic and unhinged as the rest of them. Um, but what works, I think, you know, more so than, than Wahlberg's isolated performance is just the dynamic between Farrell and Wahlberg because I, they don't have any scenes I, well they don't have many scenes apart I don't think that Wahlberg has any scenes without Farrell uh, maybe that flashback I guess to his uh, checkered past right that uh,
0: I thought that was funny yeah. That that yeah, and then
1: moments when he is in the dance studio with his girlfriend before Farrell right enters the room.
0: That scene when he shot Jeter, he's just where he's just kind of acting like a cop would act, you know? Yeah. Like, Sir, stop. You know, he, he was just kind of acting like a like a cop would act. He wasn't trying to be broad or hilarious or anything, but yet when he did that, to me, that was that was just genuinely funny. If we had had more of that, just kind of trying to just be a natural, a real person in a certain situation that would have uh, heightened the comedic value, then maybe it would have succeeded better for me. But I think that he was trying to be too broad and in your face all the time. If
1: we were in the wild, I would attack you. If I were a lion and you were a tuna, I would swim out
2: in the middle of the ocean and eat you. Okay, first off, a lion swimming in the ocean? Lions don't like water. If you'd placed it near a river or some sort of fresh water source, that makes sense. But you find yourself in the ocean, 20 foot waves, I'm assuming it's off the coast of South Africa. Coming up against a full-grown 800-pound tuna with his 20 or 30 friends, you lose that battle. You lose that battle nine times out of ten. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope.
1: Yeah, and his role here is basically to be the straight man. Right. And he really kind of jumps back and forth from being straight to funny. And, I mean, that is the straight man's job, really. A straight man can be funny. It's not a crime for him to do that. Uh, but there were times when I thought well he's acting too cool to where he doesn't want to be the butt of jokes but then there were moments where his character was kind of dumb uh, and he would say stupid things where Will Ferrell's character was much smarter and he would understand them, like when he makes the joke where he says, we're going to lock you up in the Federal Reserve. I thought that that was funny because, you know, you have Will Ferrell saying, yeah, he just doesn't understand the concept of Federal Reserve. And uh, that that was good. And so I thought, well, this might have worked better if Mark Wahlberg's character was dumb throughout the entire thing. He was just kind of this dumb jock cop. You, want,
2: you want more consistency? I yeah, I
1: guess. I mean, yeah, I, I think this movie, around two hours in running time, is just that corey inconsistent and but again from our minute one to minute one one twenty or however long it is i think that there are enough jokes to sort of justify it as one of the better summer
2: comedies but for me I, i guess adam mckay's movies always get better on repeat viewings you know i can't wait to see this movie again if only to take in all of these jokes maybe some jokes that i didn't get the first time or missed you know and you know like unlike you guys, I guess I didn't have a problem with the plot, I didn't have a problem with Wahlberg, the movie pretty much entirely worked for me, um, and I can't wait to just sort of get back into this and, and just, you know, hang out with the supporting cast again and see this movie again, because the supporting cast is so awesome, and Farrell is so funny here playing this sort of buttoned-down, really boring guy with just this hilariously over-the-top, you know, dark secret of a past. Uh, I I'm I'm really looking forward to I guess seeing I don't know the the supporting cast again like I said that's that's well, the most fun of the movie. You
1: mentioned his dark past. I can't wait for the future of this show to have a stinger that says, "You feel me?" Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was easily some of the funniest stuff in the movie, especially when we saw him get to his lowest point. Right. Yep. <laughs> His image, anyway. <laughs> like, for a second I thought, that's just way too broad. But then, as, you know, the movie went on, that image stayed in my brain, and I just thought, wow, that was hilarious. Um, but then, I don't know, there are just some things that are, I, to me, don't don't play at the level of McKay and Farrell, especially, say, uh, the Dirty Mike stuff. Oh, with man, that Adam killed McKay. me. See, I thought, I thought that the joke, when we weren't seeing Dirty Mike, uh in the movie I thought that that kind of worked yeah, yeah, that made me laugh it was. It reminded me of the old SNL days jokes that they might have made but when we actually saw Dirty Mike
2: played by Adam McKay
1: played by Adam McKay it looked like something out of like a weak Adam Sandler movie I thought that was
2: hysterical i, I, I like I wasn't expecting a callback, and when they show up, mm-hmm. that killed me. Yeah, that and was then good. McKay's departing line: "It will happen again."
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Graham, I, I don't think yeah. you're a huge fan of Steve Coogan, uh, and neither am I. I mean, I, I like him. I think he's done good work, but Corey, I mean. You're a fan, and I'm you're, a big you're, fan. yeah, you're a big fan of Hamlet Two, particularly because yeah. that was a chance where Steve Coogan got to be a lead in an American comedy, where people got to see more of this guy. He gained a lot more exposure. But I think that in American movies, when he has these supporting roles, they really kind of limit him. And America, unless they've seen Hamlet Two, really has yet to see what Steve Coogan is capable of. Especially, uh, you know, when he has done good work in 24 Hour Party People or. Tristam Shandy. I mean, this guy is obviously talented, and even something as small as coffee and cigarettes. The right. Jim Jarmusch movie, where he is absolutely brilliant in that little vignette with Alfred Molina. Right, but didn't you think, I mean, he was just kind of wasted here? As just kind of this corporate criminal who doesn't, who's not as much in on the joke, uh, where he's really kind of serving as a plot
2: device. I mean, it's not really the flashiest character, but he gets little moments that are that are pretty nice here and there. Um, I, I did kind of question, I suppose, casting Steve Coogan in that role specifically. I mean, precisely for what you just said, uh, he doesn't really have a whole lot of opportunities to be funny. Um, but there, I mean, that scene uh, where he attempts to bribe the cops, I think is is probably that was a good sequence. Th- it's it's an excellent sequence I where they go to where
1: he gives them tickets to the Knicks, Knicks and games and Broadway shows, and Jersey Boys, or yeah, that that was funny. Uh, just that little montage, yeah. but uh, Graham and Corey and Graham, I'll start with you. Uh, you said Graham, you said you ranked this fourth among Will Ferrell Adam McKay collaborations, and I think that this movie serves as sort of an exception because Will Ferrell did not get writing credit this time, uh, yeah. which was a surprise to me going into it. I, you know, I just I'm kind of surprised dis- by yeah. Too. I assumed that he co-wrote the movie. I didn't, I didn't even check it out. I just thought this is the new Adam McKay Will Ferrell movie. Obviously, they're going to share co-writing credit. But when the credits came up at the end, it said. Uh, Adam McKay, and I think like Chris Minchie or Hinchie. Chris Hinchie. Yeah, something like that. Didn't know who that was. Haven't done the research yet to find out what his other credits are. Uh, But do you – I mean, obviously, Graham, do you think that that plays a role where Will Ferrell might have been a little too busy to participate on the screenwriting process, or at least the early stages? I'm sure he had a hand in some rewrites. But did it feel like Will Ferrell was sort of a uh, a supporting player in, in some respects, with this entire project?
0: No, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, from the beginning, this was another Will Ferrell-Adam McKay collaboration. And, I, God, I mean, I'm thinking in the back. I was surprised when I saw that Ferrell didn't get a, a screenwriting credit uh, also. But if I can remember, you know, back when this movie was in development on on the IMDb page, I thought I remembered seeing Ferrell. This as one of the screenwriters. I might be wrong, but, no. Uh, and also, Chris Henschey is a guy that's... Uh, in that little crew, he's in the he's he does a lot of stuff for Funny or Die. Uh, he's married to Brooke Shields, which explains her cameo in the movie. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it was disappointing and, uh when I saw that Will Ferrell wasn't uh, one of the writers. Just because you kind of you know when you don't see that name in the in the credits, it's kind of like oh well, I guess we don't have his brand of writing hilarity, but. Uh, you know, I just I, I want to get to get back to the uh, how I reacted to the film. You know, Corey's right when he says that Adam McKay movies get better with repeated viewings. That's that's totally true. And then for me, that's been true for all three of their other films. Even Anchorman, which I loved at the outset, just got so much better and better with repeated viewings. Step Brothers, I was sort of underwhelmed with the first time I watched it, and now, like Corey, I could pop that in at any point and sit down and just you know. Watch it like a deer in headlights. I I love it so much. So you know I'm I'm not gonna say to people don't go see this. It's not worth your time. I think you'll you'll laugh. Uh, you'll laugh throughout the movie. You know overall whether or not you you think it's a great film. You know I did not. You might like Corey does, but uh, if you're a Will Ferrell Adam McKay fan, it's gonna have something for you. Uh, and it might get better with time. It might not. Uh, and hey, whether that's Chris Hinchy's fault or not, it remains to be seen.
1: I think that Step Brothers does sort of hold up much more so than Talladega Nights does. But in terms of a repeat viewing and, the value, and you know, the rewatchability and that value, I think that's also some people being fans of McKay or other directors and writers and trying to convince themselves that, hey, maybe this is funny. If I watch it enough, I'll be hypnotized into thinking that it is funny and I'll sort of speak its language after 100 viewings. Uh, but, again, that does work with Step Brothers. Not so much with Talladega Nights. I still sort of I, 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 I stand by my original uh, assessment of that movie. I think that, that that definitely holds up. But let's talk about the um, one more of the supporting cast. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Keaton, I thought, He's does awesome. great work here. Yeah. He's funny. And, I mean, this guy, obviously, dating back to Beetlejuice, and throw Mr. Mom in there in some other movies. Gosh, uh, what was the, the movie about the mental patients, Graham? Uh, dream Team? Yeah, Dream Team. I mean, this guy has got mad comedic chops, and I wish that he would get more and more work these days. He sort of hit a slump there for a while from Jack Frost to First Daughter when he was just making you know this tripe. When you've got a guy like Michael Keaton, put him in something good. And I, I've been waiting for somebody like, you know, Tarantino, and he did use him in Jackie Brown, right. obviously, but he, he deserves one of those kinds of comebacks. And I think that he's getting good projects like this in Toy Story 3. I think it's really time now for somebody to take a chance on him. Uh, so hopefully... Um, well,
0: I, uh, Adam McKay was on Jimmy Fallon the other night. And um, Jimmy Fallon, one of his questions was, you know, well, Michael Keaton was hilarious in this movie. He's so great. Where, where did he go? You know, like, where, why did he kind of disappear from the scene? And Adam McKay said that uh, it, was, it was his, that Adam McKay said it was Michael Keaton's decision. It wasn't like he couldn't get work. And even Jimmy Fallon took a jab at multiplicity. He was like, is it because of multiplicity that he, had, that he went away for so long? Which, fair point. But uh, it sounds like that, that he kind of went away, uh, he just kind of di- didn't take projects, you know, consciously didn't take projects. That group you hear, he's hilarious, and one of my favorite parts is when he uh, shows that being a police officer isn't his only job. He says it's because he he has to uh, support his son to go so he can go to NYU and explore his bisexuality. That was great. That was great. Yeah,
1: and Corey and I were actually in the same theater last night, and I think that that was one of the moments where I Corey was a few rows down, and I saw him convulsing, uh, which <laughs> wasn't the only time I saw his chair shaking.
2: Yep, that did happen.
1: But anyway, the other guys is playing nationwide in at the Cobb Hollywood 16 in Tuscaloosa. And before we take our break, I do want to share with listeners a new feature that we're going to have. Thank goodness we didn't have to use it this time. But any time we're about to get into spoiler territory or we're going to go into detail about a certain movie, we will warn you uh, in a specific way this time, and this is how we do it. Spoiler! And so whenever you hear that, that means... Turn the radio down because we're about to get specific. <laughs> but when we do come back, we will talk a little box office and industry news, so please stay tuned. This is Aspect Radio.
0: <laughs> Boy, what's the
1: back on Aspect Radio uh, with Corey Kraft and Graham Flanagan. I'm Ben Flanagan. And before we get out to our Hollywood news that piqued our interest this week, let's say hello to the people out at Tutwiler Hall. Move-in day. It's a hot day. We know it's hot, but uh, hopefully we can give you something to listen to here on the Movie Talk show. We just talked about the other guys. Now it's time to talk about what kind of money it's making this weekend. Deadline Hollywood reports that the other guys, which we just reviewed, will end up unseating Christopher Nolan's inception as the number one moneymaker at the box office this weekend. Will Ferrell's buddy cop movie should bring in around $35 million, followed by Inception, which should finish with something in the $19 million arena, meaning another measly 30% drop-off for the mind bender. Now, Graham, does this showing for the other guys surprise you at all, and what do you think of the legs that Inception has right now? Oh,
0: it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, they, oh, look, at, look at their track record of these guys, of, of these Adam McKay directed Will Ferrell stars. You know, all all hundred million dollar plus hits,
1: except Anchorman.
0: Yeah, again.
1: Anchorman made eighty five.
0: Excuse me, that's right. My bad. Well, I wasn't gonna say it, but I think that uh, Inception is also gonna be coming in number three behind Step Up 3D.
1: Well, on Friday, according uh, to Deadline Hollywood.
0: According (laughs) according to
1: Deadline, uh, Step Up. It it will for Friday. I think it's yeah, going to end up making like sixteen million. They expect it to drop today. Yeah, by the weekend. And uh-huh. I think Inception is going to finish second overall. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> we're reading the same article uh, here, you know. <laughs>
0: anyway, uh, I think that, you know this. This makes sense, and and um, it, it it looks like it's going to be on track to uh, to clear a hundred million. I mean, I saw it last night at eleven forty-five, and and. In New York City in, uh, at, a, at a theater near Penn Station, which is you know a very high traffic area. And uh, we you know it was a later show we didn't have too much trouble getting a great seat. Uh, we didn't you know whereas when I tried to see Iron Man 2 on the first night that it came out it was pretty much impossible. same goes for Inception, karate Kid and all these other blockbusters. but um, we'll see I think that the, the crowd was laughing a lot. so I think word of mouth might be there especially when you have people like Corey but uh you know going out singing the movie's praises but there was you know like you said two hour running time lots of downtime where they just simply are not jokes and we're, we're talking about corporations and too big to fail and all that so i think that 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 might prevent it from uh you know going surpassing some of their previous hits like talladega knights and Step Brothers. pg-13 definitely helps though
2: yeah that does help um I just want to talk about the legs on Inception because I think that's, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal to to see that this movie is going to top out probably around, I don't know, 270 or so. Um, I don't know if it's going to hit three, but I mean, if it keeps a couple more, you know, $19 million weekends, who knows? And the thing is, it's playing. It's playing in a big way with people. This has become, you know, a conversation piece. Um, and it's the sort of thing that, that people are telling their friends, you need to see it, and everybody wants to. Yeah, um, there's
1: word of mouth, and it's strong word of mouth. Well,
2: last night, actually, at the Cobb, when I you know we were going to see the other guys, uh, there was a large line of people waiting you know, to have their tickets torn to go in, and that line was for... And, and this surprised me, because I just kind of stood in it, assuming that it was for the other guys, but the line was, in fact, for Step Up 3D, Salt, and Inception, this this big line of people and i don't know how many people were seeing what movie there was really no way to tell that but i didn't see a whole lot of 3d glasses i'll just say that (laughs) um but i mean inception doing as well as it did and it has done and, and continues to do is is probably i mean that just sort of renews my weakened faith i guess in the american taste in film uh it's a great movie definitely Well, in what could also be uh, alarming news, depending on how you look at it, Quentin Tarantino is rumored to not only be interested, but even be attached to direct the the latest adaptation of the 1930s serialized radio show The Shadow, as if Alec Baldwin's 1994 incarnation wasn't already enough. Now, where do you guys stand on this a- uh, adaptation as Tarantino's potential follow-up to 2009's highly original Inglourious Bastards*?
1: Well, Graham, you and I both saw The Shadow in the theater uh, when it came out, I remember, co-starring John Lone. <laughs> and I remember you and I, I think, were pretty disappointed with what we got. Uh, now, our friend Ben Stark, I, I would probably guarantee would have different things to say here. Uh, but I think that this is a property that has a lot of potential and that I think could be improved upon since that 1994 film, uh, obviously depending on who they cast and uh, who directs it. But Tarantino certainly isn't the guy that I would think of to direct this. I mean, he, he's not somebody that, you, you know, offhand you would just kind of pick to revive a franchise. I think at, at one point we all know that he was in talks to adapt or direct a James Bond movie, uh, his his version of Casino Royale. Uh-huh. And that might have been a lot of fun, but for whatever reason, that fell apart. Uh, Graham, we know Tarantino for his original stamp on filmmaking in Hollywood. I mean, would it disappoint you if he did pick this as his follow-up to Inglorious No, it, would,
0: it wouldn't disappoint me. Let me first say that uh, you mentioned Ben Stark Ben Stark's idea of a fun Friday night is a is a double feature of The Shadow and The Phantom starring Billy Zane. And that's only if movie galleries closed and he's not able to rent DuckTales Season 2. But I think that uh, hopefully hey, hopefully The Shadow looks better than The Green Hornet, which I'm uh, sort of disappointed about so far with the, with uh, just from the trailers. No, look, Tarantino's back on top with Inglourious Bastards. And that, when that happens, when you make a movie like this, as, you know, with Chris Christopher Nolan, he can do whatever he wants next. He can do Step Up 4-D, for all I care. I'll be there. So Tarantino can do whatever he wants. He can, take a, 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 he can adapt a novel. He can adapt an anime series. Do whatever he wants. I'm there. Uh, and if it fails, then, hey, it's going to say, uh-oh, is he kind of sliding back down to where he was for most of the early part of the 2000s? But right now, he's got carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And, uh, so Corey... Bring it on.
1: Yeah, and, I mean... I've read a little bit about the shadow and again I've seen that first movie I saw it when I was 10 years old or 9 years old so I mean I I don't have the greatest memory of it it didn't really leave the you know the same impression on my brain as something like Jurassic Park did uh, back in those days Um, but look if this is something that Tarantino grew up loving and it's something that he's passionate about
2: obviously it, it could be a great movie but I mean is this something that excites you? I would see it. You know, Tarantino though is notoriously flighty about what he's going to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that he's sort of repeatedly mentioned in interviews is another Kill Bill movie Mm -hmm. which should be arriving somewhere around 2014 if his (laughs) time estimate was correct. but I mean, I'm with you guys. I'll see anything he does. I think there. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential to do like a like a period adventure piece with with this film. Uh, if that's the way he wanted to go, uh, I mean, obviously that would be pretty cool. But um, you know, I'll see whatever he does. Well,
1: you know, one of my favorite shows on TV is ESPN's. Pardon the interruption, and they have a segment on there every week called Oddsmakers, where they say, "What are the odds that this is actually going to happen? Give me a percentage." Honestly, like you said, him having this sort of flighty reputation on projects following successful ones, I give this a 4% chance of actually happening. I won't
2: believe it until I'm in the theater yeah. on the day. That happened with *Inglorious Bastards, though, so...
0: Yeah, well, we'll yeah, see. I, I, I still kind of can't believe that we have a movie uh, called *Inglorious Bastards that you can put in your DVD player. So I'm going to give it a 40%. Yeah.
1: You know, I hope so. I hope he makes it good. And sticking with this, I guess, things indirectly related to Tarantino, Sony Pictures is reportedly considering Christoph Waltz as the villain said to be the lizard for their upcoming Spider-Man reboot. And it seems that Michael Fassbender, another Tarantino bastard, was also under consideration for the part, and he opted not to do that so he could make X-Men First Class where he'll play Magneto. Now look. Casting Waltz is a good idea no matter what for any filmmaker or studio, because I mean the guy's brilliant, but does it worry either of you that somebody like him, after Inglorious Bastards where he played this iconic villain, is sort of moving into that pigeonhole territory of playing nothing but villains, Corey?
2: I mean it worries me a bit, but I expected it. You know, you you don't you don't play such a such an iconic person like Hans Landa and not immediately get offered like hundreds of of generic villain roles that said um you know if you're dylan baker you're sitting at home just like really upset right Right. now if, if they're recasting the lizard the lizard or dr dr kirk connors um and i don't really you know i don't know i'm not i'm not feeling this i'm not really feeling anything about this project except for the casting of andrew garfield who i do like yeah um but, I mean, again, if they cast it well, it can only help it, but I'm I'm just inherently skeptical about Right, this.
1: and this is on the heels of him taking the villain role in The Green Hornet, which sure. Graham mentioned earlier. And, like you said, when you play somebody like Hans Landa and you win an Oscar for it, you're going to get offer after offer, but should you accept all of those offers? And it seems like Waltz is probably doing that. And, look, these are big studio movies, mm-hmm. and he's probably making bank, and maybe it's going to be... It's gonna take a couple of movies for him to fatten up his bank account before he's like, "Look, I'm ready to make real movies." Well, now. yeah,
2: and you gotta figure. I, I don't know how old he is, but having just broken into Hollywood with Inglorious Bastards, you gotta figure that he's pretty. He's just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I I don't know if it's the money or just the enthusiasm of being in these big American films. Yeah, but,
0: well, you know, it, it's got to be a combination of both. Yeah. I mean, he it, all when he was doing kind of the, the Academy Awards press tour that lasted however many months. I mean, you get the sense from from Waltz that he's just a genuine actor that loves to be, I think he even said it, like, on the planks. Uh, You know, this guy loves it, and, and, you know, he, let's think about it, before Inglourious Bastards*, he was unknown. He wasn't even that big of a star in Germany. Right. Okay, I mean, he, so so he's going to take a few paychecks, like you said, Ben, and maybe after a couple of action movies big hollywood kind of silly movies or what uh, that, that aren't you know aren't oscar contenders he will do something like he will team up with paul thomas anderson or go back with Tarantino
1: or Spielberg or Woody yeah, Allen or somebody or
0: Woody Al- yes, yeah yes or he'll get uh, Michael Haneke to make uh, an, an awesome movie and they can collaborate look I know? have no doubt and it's not well, like it's he's him he, some look at see I,
1: I am and I'm, I'm saying I don't blame him for getting paid and it's not like he's working with Brett Ratner I mean he's made a movie with <laughs> Michelle Gondry and look no, Mark,
0: Green one, it looks like a Brett Ratner movie yeah me, it really. does
1: but I mean would you balk at the opportunity to work with Michelle Gondry I mean even if
0: oh, well no way yeah no exactly way. and
1: look Mark Webb course I know you you have strong feelings about 500 Days of Summer, but this is a a, uh, hot filmmaker coming off of a critically acclaimed and, uh, you know, well-liked movie by audiences. I mean, Mark Webb. He's he's a successful guy, and this is a huge studio release. So, look, I don't blame him for doing this. I just am, you know, worried that a guy who I, who I'm a fan of is just going to start taking villain role after villain role in these studio comic book or uh, television adaptation shows. That's all I'm saying. It's happened in the past. I, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't succumb to the Oscar
2: curse, so well, to speak. He's taking. Uh, actually, I don't know how much this uh, goes against your point because he it, i think it is the villain role but he's also starring in the adaptation of the novel water for elephants which i'm unfamiliar with but i think francis lawrence is directing that film yeah not, not, I mean, not I mean, michelle not, gondry not michelle gondry yeah. but it's a legit property Yeah, and
1: who's that co-starring uh
2: it co-stars robert pattinson thank you but uh you know i i don't know i don't know uh i i think sean penn was originally cast in that role and, and dropped out so, replacing Sean Penn with Christoph Waltz. I, why,
1: I wonder if Sean Penn dropped out because Robert Pattinson was casting in it. You never know. Uh, but, look, maybe, maybe R. Pats is yeah. capable of who, good who things. Knows, who
2: knows. But I, I actually want to talk a little bit about Michael Fassbender being in X-Men First Class. Okay, let's, let's go off book how, here, Corey. How great and, is that? And,
1: and fulfill your X-Men fantasies real fast.
2: Michael Fassbender's <laughs> Magneto? That's perfect. Sure.
1: So, I mean, yeah, First Class means that this is going to be a prequel right. origin story of sorts, I guess.
2: I guess, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's a reboot or just like a prequel. And Brian
1: Singer's movie. doing it, right? No, uh, no, Matthew Vaughn. That's right, Matthew Vaughn. Um, Michael Fassbender, look, yeah, great. Um, it's great casting. Yeah, he's great in *Inglorious Bastards again, and I haven't seen Jonah Hex, well, but yeah, I'm sure he that. does fine work in that. Um, but we'll see, but again, I mean, I'm all for casting my favorite actors in big Hollywood movies you know i get excited about that but it also i i am i am going to come into it with a little bit of skepticism too based on a lot of what hollywood has had to offer over the past few years
2: sure speaking of casting a lot of my favorite actors in a big budget hollywood movie Mm. cinema blend reports that iron man franchise director john favreau really wanted to direct the upcoming avengers film but marvel didn't want to pay the salary he apparently demanded Uh, Negotiations with Favreau to direct Iron Man 2 were difficult, and Favreau worked out a deal that got him paid more money, but Marvel wasn't willing to pay that kind of money again when it came time for the Avengers, and so they found cheaper talent to direct all of their subsequent movies, namely namely Joss Whedon, who will direct the Avengers. Graham, (laughs) considering the revenue Favreau's two products have generated for Marvel in two years, is this a smart move?
0: Look, I I, I can't believe that I still can't believe that the studios are are letting Marvel and DC, they're kind of like doing these major creative collaborations where they're actually like letting these Marvel executives, quote-unquote, come onto the set and give their input. And, and, you know, I I just think that 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 cannot last for very long. I mean, some of these movies have made money. Some of them haven't, though. And I just think as being a filmmaker or somebody working for the studio, I would start to be like, all right, guy, you know, Back to the back to the lab. Here's a notepad and some crayons. You know, go do your thing.
2: Well, if I'm not but, uh, mistaken, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: But no, no, I, I think that you know, it's really that's surprising to me that, that they couldn't get John Favreau, who's who's proven that he can bring them the goods with with the first two Iron Man movies and his other hits, because usually these days salary isn't even uh, isn't even a factor. A lot of times with these kinds of projects, directors will say, you know what, you can just give me the scale salary, but then I get the fat back-end uh, percentage of, of the gross, which is less of a risk for the studios because, you know, that means they don't have to put up that much money up front, and then it, the pressure's on the director to create a product that is going to generate enough for them to, to uh, justify them not taking a big salary.
1: I agree. I think that this is a mistake uh, because look, I, this is no slight to Joss Whedon. He's done great work in a lot of people's eyes, and I'm sure he'll do a fun job with the Avengers. But you have a proven commodity with John Favreau, who has delivered two mega blockbusters in the Iron Man movies, as well as another major hit that grossed $170 million, I think, with Elf yeah. uh, not too long ago. So the guy can deliver um, at the studio level. And he's made what i would probably say safely assume are people's favorite marvel comic book movie adaptations other than maybe the spider the first two spider-man movies i think that there's probably a debate between iron man one and spider-man two as the best marvel movie don't you think
2: yeah certainly the best marvel production since they became Mm -hmm. you know self-sustaining right 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 upon themselves Um, but Marvel has a history of this, you know, dumping people when they want more money or when they become difficult. I mean, look at Terrence Howard and Edward Norton, even. They're, they're both out. Um, whether this is, you know, the sustainable, no, of course it isn't because they're, you know, if they alienate John Favreau of all people and Robert Downey Jr., they're going to be in trouble when contracts expire.
1: Yeah. And the fact is,
0: go ahead, Graham. Sorry. Your turn. Okay, so this sounds like you know if this is a Marvel decision, this sounds like some very like nerdy Joss Whedon worship. That I am not surprised at all that they have like, oh Joss, oh just if you keep taking meetings with us, Joss, creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly, we we promise we'll have something special for you, Joss. you just keep hanging around, you know, like the, the, and no offense to, to you, Corey, <laughs> or to your wife, then right. But you don't you don't insult. John Favreau because you might have have a thing for whatever uh, show Joss Whedon used to have on the WB.
1: Or comic, he you know, cause he, he,
0: jo- John Favreau has auditioned to do this massive project twice and succeeded both times. How are you just going to hand that off to somebody that's, that's been doing TV episodes for the last almost 10 years? No, I agree with
2: you. I mean, I like Joss Whedon, but I have a lot of reservations about this.
1: Yeah, and the fact remains that Stan Lee is out of control right now with his... <laughs> Creative control, abusive power—I would say. Oh,
0: you and you read his Twitter feed, Stan Lee's Twitter feed. It sounds like it's Howard Hughes <laughs> tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> I just let people, you know, I follow him, check him out. I mean, it's just really weird.
1: I'm not following him right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm not to... either, actually. Yeah, well, let's take one last break, and we'll come back with some DVD picks and some announcements. Please stay tuned to all those folks out there at Tutwiler Hall. Stay hydrated. It's only going to get hotter. This is Aspect Radio, the movie talk show, only on 90.7, the Capstone, the voice of the University of Alabama. Enjoy some Miggy Pop. Back here on Aspect Radio, this is Ben Flanagan, and it's time for some DVD picks. Corey?
2: Well, not much coming out this next week, uh, but I can recommend two fairly decent, though somewhat middling, studio comedies that come out on Tuesday. Uh, the first being Steve Carell and Tina Fey's Date Night, which is not as good as it should have been, but still worth a rental, I'd say. It's it's a funny movie. Um, Steve Carell and Tina Fey co-star as a married couple who get into some action movie-type hijinks when they uh, take a rare... Trip into New York to have a nice dinner and are mistaken for, I don't know, villains of some sort. I don't remember much about it, but.
1: Is it better than Get Smart? I like Get Smart. You like Get Smart?
2: No, it's not better than Get Smart. Okay. Yeah. Um, the action's not as good. It's a Sean Levy movie, so, you know, you, you take what you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, Corel and, and Faye are both very funny. Mark Wahlberg has a nice little cameo slash supporting role. Um,. James Franco and Mila Kunis show up so I mean it's, it's hardly a waste of time though I wouldn't buy it uh, the second kind of surprises me um, it's the remake of Death at a Funeral um, which also comes out on Tuesday I actually like this a lot more than the, the original Death at a Funeral which I always found kind of too stuffy, uh, not really very funny this sort of like takes the same premise uh, casts a lot more appealing stars like like Tracy Morgan, Chris Rock, Martin Lawrence Um, sort of stacks the deck uh, as far as comedic stars go. Luke Wilson and then James Marsden even uh, and Peter Dinklage reprising his role from the original which is funny. Danny
1: Glover's in it too, right? Danny Glover. Yeah, and I've always thought that Chris Rock, no matter how hilarious his stand-up is and look, he's the king of stand-up right now as far as I'm concerned, but I've always thought that he's had trouble making good movies and I just don't think he's a very good actor. Well, he
2: plays the straight man in this too, Uh so he he doesn't really have too much of an opportunity to uh, sort of go broad, like uh, James Marsden and uh, Tracy Morgan, of course. Yeah, good cast. It is a good cast. It's a funny movie. Um, if you have any fondness towards the original, uh, I would I would check this out, because I think it is, like I said, better. Also, fun trivia note, it's directed by Neil Butte, mm-hmm. which blows my mind every time I think about
1: it. Yeah, it blew my mind when I saw that he directed Lakeview Terrace, and then that he was directing this. I'm like... Is this really the guy that did Your Friends and Neighbors and <laughs> In the Company of Men? What happened to him?
2: I actually have Your Friends and Neighbors from Netflix right now.
1: Enjoy, my friend. Yeah, you trying to be... find
2: his
0: off-off Broadway commie plays. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so.
1: Corey Corey Graham has uh, Your Friends and Neighbors on you know DVD at home now. I guess you know it, it's the perfect contrast to the other guys last night. Or would it might serve as a pretty good double feature. Yeah. We'll that, see.
0: We'll that see. movie's in the top. I mean, it's, it's just a great film, Your Friends and Neighbors. Uh, he has yet to even come close in the, in the subsequent work that he's done. Highly recommended for me.
1: And I'll let the. Are you done, Corey? Or yeah. No. Yeah, okay, no, yeah, I'll let this sort of segue into my picks. Uh, Corey, you loaned me Greenberg last week, uh-huh. and I think that this is right there. With Ben Stiller's dramatic performance in Your Friends and Neighbors, and he's outstanding in that movie. Okay. And I think that Greenberg is actually Ben Stiller's best overall performance, and I think you that it's—I so. yeah, really do. And you know, I, I even—I look, I consider his comedies like, uh, you know, Zoolander uh, and even Dodgeball, which I think is a brilliant comedic performance. Mm-hmm. But I really reacted strongly uh, to Greenberg. I really think his work is Oscar-worthy, especially the sort of climactic scene with him and Reese fans at the end. Uh, during the party yeah. at the house, I think I thought that was an excellent scene. And um, what I love about that movie, and what the decision on Baumbach and Stiller's part is to reveal just how short Ben Stiller actually is in the movie, because you see him at normal height; it's not really manipulated like it is, say, in other Hollywood movies. You see him at these parties with other people, and we see that Ben Stiller is only like what five foot four or five foot five, and it sort of adds to the character. You just kind of have this little jerk running around making snarky comments, and it's just that guy, that little guy that bothers you, and he even gets pushed down by some just regular-sized college kids at one point right. in the movie, but I thought that that was outstanding, and it's really one of Bombok's best movies. I think it's right there with Squid in the Well, and also at home, uh, upon our recent summer movie, summer movie retrospective of the decade, Corey, I've decided to take another look at Steven Spielberg's AI, and I'm Good. about 20 minutes into it. Uh, I'm still right, and but so far... <laughs> At least John Williams is doing great work. I mean, he really is bringing it in the first 20 minutes so far. and uh, I, But, see, look, back when I watched it, uh, I remember 20 minutes in thinking this might not be so bad after all. Uh, we'll see where it goes downhill. Also, I picked up the Criterion disc of Jean Renoir's The Rules of the Game from 1939, which I still haven't seen. Oh, you're in for a treat. Yeah, and I can't wait to watch that. Excellent. So that that's it for me right now. Graham, what's on your cue right now?
0: Well, I'll get to my main pick in just a second, but quickly... Uh some exciting news for people who are fans of the Criterion Collection. Uh, they've they've announced a few titles. Finally, they put up the their cover art for their forthcoming uh, DV, uh, Blu-ray release of Terrence and The Thin Red Line. It's pretty cool. That comes out in September, but they've announced a few other things that are pretty exciting. Another Bergman movie, The Magician, but then Pads of Glory by Stanley Kubrick, which will make it the second Stanley Kubrick film to be part of the Criterion Collection. That comes out in October. Wow. <laughs> and also... In October, the Darjeeling Limited by Wes Anderson finally uh, debuts on Criterion Collection. Any cover art for the, that? The box. I don't art. think
2: that. Yeah, they haven't released the cover art yet. But you, that's that's yeah. also on Blu-ray, which I'm excited about. Right.
1: And I guess Eric Anderson's going to get to design that. I uh, almost hopefully. certainly. Yeah, hopefully.
0: Um, my main my main recommendation is not it's not a movie or a DVD. It's uh it's a book, and because I, I know we're all getting pumped up for The Social Network by David Fincher, and I'm really pumped about this project for a lot of reasons, uh, and so I decided to read the book that the movie is based on. It's called The Accidental Billionaires by an author named Ben Mesrick, who wrote uh, Bringing Down the House, which is the book that, uh, that the movie 21 is based on about the people that, uh, that uh, you know, from MIT that figured out how to beat the casino or whatever. So this book is about the founding of Facebook. Aaron Sorkin used it as his foundation on which to write the screenplay. And I devoured it in about two days. It's it's just it's totally breezy, entertaining read. And and I think it should be required viewing for anybody who, you know, since the the middle of this decade has, has kind of had their lives impacted by Facebook. I know mine has. And I know you guys probably it has impacted your lives too. And I think that it's kind of required reading. It should be anyway for, for people who use this tool every day to kind of figure out how – it came to be. It's really fascinating, the story behind it, uh, and just and this, this book really pumped me up for the trailer, I got, or for the movie, rather. I saw the trailer last night before the other guys and had finished the book earlier this week, and, you know, you see little scenes that are, you, you clearly, if you've read the book, can see what's going on and who's involved. So it got me even more pumped up, and I mean, right now, this is my most anticipated movie of the year.
1: It's mine, too, and Corey, I don't know about you, but last night was the first time I'd seen the Social Network trailer in a theater, and it really pumped me up. I but saw it
2: in front of Inception. I really?
1: Realize. It wasn't in front of my Inception. Three Inception Three screenings. It was not in front of it, unfortunately. For both of mine. That's wow, funny. that's yeah. crazy, and I saw it twice in Tuscaloosa. Um <laughs> Once in Atlanta, I, thought I might see it in Atlanta, but it didn't show up. But uh, I, th- I thought it was interesting in the, the the trailer that I saw. They had cut out the shot of Justin Timberlake. I noticed that f- flicking too. off and Jesse Eisenberg. I guess.
2: Yeah, like the first time I saw that, I was kind of. Stunned that that made it into a Green Band trailer in the first right. place, but I guess they corrected that with the new revised trailer attached to the other guy. Yeah,
1: and that shows just how much, how often we've watched the trailer. I've
2: watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leading into it, to I, where we're
1: like w- that frame, yeah. that split second frame didn't make it into the, you know, the new two and a half Green Band I version. Actually,
2: though. I actually turned uh, to Phil next to me, and I was like, "That that shot's gone." He was like, "What?" Yeah. he's I,
0: like. I, he's like Oh, I didn't notice. I'm on my PSP. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, seriously, though, on the book, on the book, seriously, guys, I mean, I it, it usually takes me a month to read a book that's even like 300 pages. I'm terrible. Uh, but this, I'm telling you, I mean, I, this book will just suck you in. I mean, I, I destroyed it, uh, and I'm really not the world's greatest reader, so highly recommended, and I think it will enhance the, Then uh, I know this goes against your cardinal rule of not seeing the, reading the book before you see the movie, but I think that, uh, I think that this will do no harm it's, at all. Look, help, you, help the
1: I was talking about that rule last night. We were talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm-hmm. Tess is trying to get me to read that before I see the movie, which I'm not going to do. Um, but that rule sort of only applies to fiction, I guess. Okay. Um, I, if it's something like, say, Munich or this movie, The Social Network, which I have already read up on, and I was aware of a lot of its history, I guess the Facebook's history, before this trailer came out. So my interest, again, was uh... only only peaked even more so it's something that i would definitely consider reading because the the, the subject matter just completely interests me because i've been i've been sort of on board with facebook ever since uh, i guess fall two thousand four uh... Oh, well wow. yeah i've been a loser for a long time <laughs> uh, so but anyway uh... opening nationwide and in tuscaloosa at the cop hollywood sixteen this week the other guys which we reviewed today with will Ferrell. And Mark Wahlberg in Step Up 3D, which Corey will see for his fourth time later today with a bunch of young kids from those hip dancing shows on TV.
2: I actually should say I am actually going to see this movie today. Well, <laughs> so not for the for the first time, not the fourth time, but um, also there's actually uh, an announcement um, about movies that are playing at the Bama over the next couple of weeks. If you walk past the Bama Theater, they've got posters up for. Uh, Mick Max, which is uh, Jean Pierre hmm. Junet's new film, uh, Get Low, the new Robert Duval wow. film, and Winter's Bone, uh, which will be playing at the the first week of October.
0: Hmm. Um, and good job, th- man. That's, that's, that's great. That's, yeah. No, it's you a really. Good kudos to them for that. Yeah,
2: they've got a really solid uh, selection of films coming up over the next couple of weeks. Speaking
1: of Get Low, and I'll be very quick about this, uh-huh. and I should be, um, and this goes back to the other guy's discussion. I was. Uh, you know, YouTubing and just kind of surfing the internet, reading about Get Low and that kind of thing. And also Adam McKay. And I went back and watched a, an old Adam McKay short film, The Procedure. Uh, with Willem Dafoe yeah. and Andy Richter and Will right. Ferrell. I encourage everybody to check that out. You can find that on FunnyOrDie.com and also The H is O, which is my favorite one of their shorts. But that's Adam McKay uh, and that's with Ben Stiller and Jimmy Fallon. It is hilarious. Yeah. And But with Robert Duvall, I, when I was reading about Get Low, and this is another exploration of the South on his part, I um, remembered on SNL that Robert Duvall popped up in a sketch when Garth Brooks hosted Randomly, Robert Duvall just wound up in a sketch. And I was like, what is Robert Duvall doing here? And it was for a sketch called Who's More Grizzled? Do you remember this, Graham?
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's basically just Robert Duvall is this, like, country, just rough and tough country guy up against Garth Brooks. like, in, He's made up to be, like, an old man. And basically they just say, like, uh, computers and they just give a response to computers or something just that some bumpkin might say it's hilarious and I can't find the video but I found the uh, transcript you can go to the site I think it's SNLtranscripts.com, or uh, just Google that and you can find who's more grizzled it's hilarious it still holds up and I think it came in that area when Adam McKay was head writer or on the writing staff so he might have been uh, connected to that somehow. So I, I really do encourage
2: people to do that. Sure. Well, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at aspectradio or twitter.com slash aspectradio. And of course, download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at, at, at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook.
1: And do not forget to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com. We're going to find some cool podcast and a really fun blog. He's actually got a series going where he watches the top 50 box office grocers from the year 1983.
0: It's entertaining. It's great. Yeah. I, that's, that, I've been loving that series, if, if by he, the way, it's, it's just really original. And, yeah. uh, if and, he, in a lot of ways, it's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> no. Look, if he
1: if he pulls that off and he's not divorced from his wife, Francesca, <laughs> I'll be surprised. But if he also pulls that off, he should be considered for some sort of Pulitzer Prize category. Yeah,
0: I'm saying it's sad, not because he's doing it. I think it's great that he's doing it, and it's it's incredible.
2: I'm saying it's sad, some of the movies that that people were paying to see in
0: 1983. Yeah, man, I'm with you there.
1: And maybe even sadder, uh, our friend Phil, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he has sort of a similar uh, blog experiment going on right now where he is taking his obsession with the Fast and Furious franchise Mm -hmm. and writing a 365-day blog where he watches one of the four movies and writes something about the Fast and the Furious movie, whichever one he watches that right. day. So
2: he's, uh, he's taking it to another level. That's talk about
1: shit. sad.
2: <laughs> I like those movies too, but not enough to, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, so anyway, filmnerds.com, uh, and you can catch Corey and his and my columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. Graham, thank you again for coming on, we hope you do it again very yeah, thanks, soon.
0: Man. Yeah, thank you, I just want to say what's up to everybody at uh, Tutwiler. welcome to Tuscaloosa, you're going to love it here.
1: You ditched Tuscaloosa, you're up in New York City, so what are you talking hey, I about? I've was
0: there for two plus decades, alright, <laughs> and this, it's always going to be my home, and I know, you know, you're in Tutwiler. It can, you can feel like, oh, man, I'm, I'm far from home. Don't worry about that. Just uh, check out filmnerds.com. Everything will be all okay. <laughs> good.
1: Yeah, I do. And do listen to 90.7 The Capstone. It is your friend, uh, new freshmen that are arriving here on The Capstone. It is the voice of the University of Alabama. And this is Aspect Radio, the movie talk show. We are every Saturday at 9 a.m.
2: And you can look us up on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Yeah, please do. Uh, Thank you for listening. This is Aspect Radio.
2: I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going
0: home right now.